This is episode 143 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Hallie Bulkin. She's a feeding specialist and certified orofacial myologist and SLP. Hallie is the founder of Feed the Peds, a comprehensive 12-week course on the foundations of pediatric feeding and swallowing, the Mayo membership, and the Untethered podcast. Hallie is also the founder and director of Little Sprout Therapy, a pediatric clinic providing feeding therapy, orofacial myofunctional therapy, speech language therapy, and occupational therapy in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Hallie specializes in treating infants, toddlers, children with tethered oral tissues, TOTS, feeding delays and disorders, and oral facial myofunctional disorders, OMDs. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. And just a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Craig Goldslager of Utterly Financial. The most common misstep SLPs make with their financial planning is not starting today. The second most common misstep is partnering with the wrong advisor. Craig works exclusively with us, SLPs and private practitioners across the country. As we talk about hiring employees with Tyler, you are now responsible for offering a competitive benefits package so you can attract and retain talented employees. This includes retirement plans like 401k and insurance plans like health, disability, and life insurance. Craig knows what he's talking about and can help you implement strategies to fill these insurance and retirement planning gaps. As a business owner myself, I have learned that the only way to grow is to delegate responsibilities. And you guys have talked about, heard me talk about this many times. There's no way in the heck I could do all of this alone. So working with a financial advisor like Craig is critical. So he has opened his calendar exclusively to listeners of the Swallow Your Pride podcast is offering a free 30-minute consultation that you should take advantage of. So visit www.utterlyfinancial.com forward slash SYP to set up a time with him. That's utterly, U-T-T-E-R-L-Y, financial.com forward slash SYP. Hello, Hallie. Hello. Thank you for joining me. I am so excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So tell the people who you are. I am Hallie Bolgan. I am a speech language pathologist by trade, but I'm also a certified orofacial myologist and feeding specialist. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So I think it's, I just want to tell people like a little bit about our backstory because I think it's so funny. Like we had kind of been in the same like SLP business circles for a while. And then it was like, I kind of expanded my horizons to like business groups outside of SLP land. And people know that that's kind of, you know, people ask me like, how have you gotten where you are? Like what, what have you found most successful? And I always tell people like, honestly, like I got out of SLP world, like I joined other business groups. Like I learned what other professions were doing and not not slamming SLP land at all, but like it's so interesting to find out how other like medical professionals are growing and things like that. So, anyways, I joined some other groups and Hallie was in them. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know her. She's an SLP. So it's so funny that we just ended up becoming friends that way. And then I obviously have a son who has feeding difficulties and she knows a crap ton about peds feeding. 
So I've, I've been picking her brain about things and I'm like, you really need to get a course going. You need to get a course going. You need to tell people all this knowledge. There's so many people that need this knowledge. And so she finally, I don't want to take credit for it, Hallie, but I told you you had to get this going and you finally did. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I completely blame you for it. So <laughs> it is so true. You were like, well, maybe you should create this feeding course as, you know, one of your first like online courses, which I was already planning to do an online course, a membership, you know, mastermind and was just kind of sitting here like, well, what, what should I start with? Like, where should I start? And I know what my love is. I know I love tethered oral tissues and I love feeding and I love myofunctional therapy, but like, should I like hone in on one of those areas to, to start? And I had launched my podcast, which was more centered on myotots and airway. But, you know, we had, I'd had some of the big feeding, you know, names in, the, in our industry on the podcast. And so you were like, well, if you don't do it, I'm just going to tell somebody else they have to. Damn it, Teresa. All right, let me do this. <laughs> And really, that's just, that's how it was born. So I, I was like, and like 24 hours later, it was like, what did I agree to? Yes. And I'm like, really, I agreed to nothing, right? I agreed to something to myself. But at the same time, I was like, no, I told Teresa I was doing this. So now I have to do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, like, it's such a huge need because, you know, it's like I started the collective and, you know, we talk about all things swallowing. And I had such a like identity crisis with, do we want to involve peds in the MedSLP collective? And then after talking with so many you know, people, they're like, well, I honestly, like I work with adults, but I also work with peds and I work with geriatrics, but I also work in the NICU. And I was like, well, there's actually so much overlap. So I would be really remiss if I just didn't include this population. But then beyond that, there's just so much about actual feeding. You know, it's it's like we really hone in on the the anatomy and the physiology of swallowing, but then there's just the actual feeding. And I even, you know, I found myself in, in that, in those shoes with my own son, you know, I just, I think I ended up firing like six SLPs in the first year he had quote unquote feeding therapy, because I was like, what is this? Like, what are you doing? What do you know? Like, and, and so I, you know, I'm coming at this from both a SLP and a mama bear role. So I'm, yeah. yeah. So I'm so glad and took the leap, Hallie. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I can definitely relate to that on a certain level too, because I'm the mom who's had two tongue-tied babies and one I didn't know about until she was 24 months. She's my quote unquote pick eater um, or selective eater, whatever you want to call her. And you know, now I'm basically doing myofunctional therapy with her that I post on my IGTV. So people have been following that, but, the, but truth be told, she's actually the case study that I use in our fee in our free training that I do to teach people how to use my screener. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with some SLPs and OTs as well about like what they see on her. And so, you know, as the mom, I've got the mom side, I've got the therapist side, you know, I've been now I'm teaching it, you know, I'm coming at it from so many different angles, but like you said before, it's, it's so incredibly needed. And I think what people don't realize is that the, incidents, the prevalence of how frequently feeding disorders are, how frequently we see them in our already developmentally delayed kiddos. You know, so yes, we obviously have children who have medical complexities. And that's what I think a lot of people just assume like, oh, those are the kids that need feeding therapy. But what they don't realize is that there are, gosh, I'm trying to remember the number. Um, see if I have it here. I think they said like, what was it? What was it? I'd have to find it, but um, <clears throat> there's a really high incidence of 
having a feeding disorder if you have a developmental delay in yeah. general. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and obviously then you add in like a craniofacial disorder and the range is like 33 to eight to 83% of kids have feeding disorders. Um, if you have cerebral palsy, it's like 19.2% to 99%. And the rates increase with greater severity of cognitive impairment and decline in gross motor function. And so, yes, like these are kiddos that obviously need feeding therapy and have medical, medically complex things going on. But then you've got kiddos like my child who doesn't really have any other diagnosis, maybe a tongue tie. Okay. But that's not, I wouldn't consider her medically complex. Um, and her feeding issues are just kind of written off as being picky or being stubborn or being lazy or being, you know, like this, these are the, the words that a lot of parents use with us. And so parents don't realize that these kids' issues are related to anything else going on. And a lot of therapists, a lot of speech-language pathologists have no clue that that sound that they can't make is because they can't move their tongue. And if they can't move their tongue to make the sound, they probably can't move their tongue to chew, form a bolus, swallow, you know? So yeah, it is so, it's so much further reaching than I think we even realize. Yeah. I mean, this is all just so fascinating to me. You know, like I, I obviously know my son who does have, you know, chromosomal abnormality and I, and I know his extensive, extensive feeding issues, but you're so right. You know, it's like, we have this picky eaters group too, that, um, yeah. So, yeah, all right. It's pretty crazy. So what do you want to start with? What do I want to start with? Well, um, I think there is a big issue that a lot of people don't talk about, which is the fact that a lot of people go into treating disorders, regardless of what they are, without actually know what typical function or development looks like. And so that is something that we are really honing in on in our course, because we feel that not only do you need to know what normal prenatal development looks like, and like what, you know, by 12 weeks in utero, you should be able to have a fully functioning swallow. And that's 12 weeks. That's the first thing. And most people don't even know they're pregnant until that point. I mean, so when you talk about how fast development happens and how critical these little, you know, milestones are happening in utero, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And so when we start to look at like normal prenatal development and then chunk it down to like, well, what happens in the first six months of life? And then what happens between six to 12 months, you know, of life? And then what about, you know, in the first year, like, beyond of the first year into the second year and beyond, we really know that these kiddos should have full, fully functioning feeding skills, for lack of other terms, by the time they are 30 months, 36 months of age. And so, you know, if you have a three-year-old who's sitting in front of you that is drooling and who's messy eater and their mouth is open and you hear them chomping, that is not typical. But so many people just write it off to like, well, they're a preschooler. (laughs) They're a little kid. What's the big deal? It is a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah. So we go through a lot of really, you know, we actually spend three modules on just talking about normal development. And then the rest of the course goes into assessment, treatment, and then medically complex kiddos. Awesome. Um, So one of the things that we have created, which is completely free to anybody who's interested in it, is a pediatric feeding screener. And we feel like it's kind of, it's a great way for people who are interested in feeding, but they're not quite sure, you know, where to start to kind of dip their toe in the water. Because in my opinion, this screener is completely, it's simple, it's quick to use, it's comprehensive. And 
it has a milestone chart that we've compiled based on from several resources. We pulled it all into one. It's very beautifully pulled together, color, you know, nice little color columns. Um, but we break it down by both motor skills and then by, um, you know, when I say motor skills, like your gross motor skills go anything from, you know, flexion and rolling to sitting to standing up into walking and running and jumping. Um, but also we break it down by the jaw, the lips and the tongue and like what we should see for each of those three from birth to 36 months of age. Beyond that, we also line it up with like, when are they drinking from a breast or bottle? When are they now using a, an open cup or a spoon and so on and so forth. So we really try to hone in on what should the face be doing? What should the full body be doing um, in these first three years of life, you know, from birth to 36 months? And one of the big things that we also added to that, which I don't think a lot of people talk about because this really gets into some of the myofunctional therapy sides of things, is that by 18 months of age, children should have jaw, lip, and tongue dissociation. And I think a lot of people have never heard of that before. Even when they're in the feeding world, they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, that means that their jaw, their lips, and their tongue should work independently of each other by 18 months of age, a year and a half. Like they should be able to move their tongue side to side and clear food out of, <laughs> you know, if it's stuck somewhere in their mouth. And their jaw should not be moving with their tongue. Their jaw should not be jutting forward. They shouldn't be pushing their lips forward to swallow because they can't manage everything in their mouth. Like there's, if you look at a child's face, it just tells you so much about which, what's going on inside the mouth. And so that's, that's kind of our hope with this. We have that. And we also have a beautiful checklist people can use to just check off real quick. What's what they're seeing, you know, and you just have to watch the kid eat a snack. You know, have them eat something crunchy and have them eat something off a spoon, have them drink out of an open cup and a straw cup, and you'll have so much in, and, and record it. I always tell people, take a video, get permission, take a video and go back and watch it again because it gives you so much good information. And it gives me great information even for the speech side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You know, you're talking about how even some of the stuff is formulated at 12 weeks in the womb. You know, I think what I feel like kind of this whole shell has just been cracked open. Like there's so many issues that we didn't even know were issues before. And like you said, the picky eating, like people just say, well, they just don't like that. But there's actually a lot more issues to go along with that. And, you know, I, I remember what, somebody posed a question before, like, well, how did we get here? Like, how do we all of a sudden have so many like tethered oral tissues? How do we all of a sudden have so many lip ties, tongue ties that, didn't even exist before, you know, and, and I remember Ramya who, you know, you know, very well talking about how there's really just like an added genetic component to, and just how, how our genetics are changing and, and adapting. And I just found that was so fascinating too. And I know that's something that you're really passionate about as well as like, how did we get here? Absolutely. And that is something. So what I didn't mention as well before is that we have a whole module on tethered oral tissues and a whole module on myofunctional orofacial myofunctional disorders, which leads to myofunctional therapy, because I also feel like you can't be a feeding therapist without also having these other elements. Um, everything is just so inter intertwined. So yeah, Ramya, who actually works very closely with me, she's one of the course creators in Feed the Peas, and she's just a brilliant mind. Um, I love having her there because she's had very different experiences working in a NICU than I have had in private practice. But, you know, I think there's a number of things going on. So I think, as Ramya mentioned, we definitely have, there are definitely some epigenetic changes, right? So 
that's a big, long conversation. That's the word I was looking um, for. Yes. Thank you, yeah, Hallie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think that people ask like our tots of fat. I think they've been around a lot longer than anybody realized. Um, I always say like, it's kind of like fashion. Things come in waves. Like, you know, they were talking about it 20 years ago and then someone decided, nope, this isn't a thing. And so it kind of disappeared again. So is there a ton of research on it? No. And I think that's also why people question it. But there is more research being done by a lot of my colleagues. Um, A lot of them happen to either be feeding therapists. I think what Ramya is talking about, you know, why the uptick in ties, right, is that MTHFR gene mutation. And some we're seeing this in a lot more babies and even adults that didn't know they had it. These children have a hard time processing folic acid. And there was a huge movement to put moms on folic acid prenatals, right? And make sure your prenatal has folic acid, what they've now, and that was actually boosted in the nineties to combat spina bifida. So that seems like a good thing, right? Like why wouldn't we want to <laughs> prevent babies from being born with spina bifida? Um, so, but now they've, they've also fortified it in our foods. So not, you know, other vitamins, not just prenatals, but folic acid causes midline tissues to close and thicken so that the spine is not left open. And then in turn, um, and it also, they feel that it there's it's thought to benefit the heart and reduce heart defects as well. So great things. However, what they're realizing is that it's also forcing these midline tissues, like we see with tethered oral tissues under the tongue, under the lip, to thicken and tighten. And hello, you know, uptick in tongue ties and lip ties and feeding issues and so on and so forth. So the recommendation now is actually to take folate, not folic acid. And in, you know, in preconception and in prenatal vitamins, um, because it does become a genetic issue when it is something that mom is taking. Um, and so we need to treat it to stop that gene expression from continuing down the line. So that's, that's kind of the whole big discussion on that whole MTHFR thing, the uptake in ties. And that's my thought on that piece. <laughs> Super fascinating. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Yeah. And then I know, you know, if you're anything like me, you probably get it all the time. Like, do you post here? Not well. And you don't deal with ties as much as I do. It's like my, my love language. Um, but I get a lot like, are posterior ties a real thing? Because like my dentist said they don't exist. Or my pediatrician said like they don't exist. And it, it does exist. I mean, basically, it's just this. I'll, I'll add this in here just so people can kind of visualize this. But like an anterior tongue tie is what we typically assume the frenulum to be. Um, extended all the way to the tip of the tongue, right? And it obviously we can see it impacting function. They can't move their tongue. It's literally glued to the floor of their mouth. Um, but a posterior tie is when the frenulum inserts into the floor of the mouth posterior to the salivary gland. So it's not like back in your throat, which I think is why people think it doesn't exist because we're not saying that your your tongue is like tethered to the back. Like, I don't know what people are actually envisioning, um, but it's basically that it's just inserted posterior to the salivary glands and or the submucosal area. And so there's a ton of controversy around this, but um, there's actually a, uh, I just had him on the podcast, um, Daniel Lopez, who is a doctor of osteopathic medicine. He said, tongue tie is not a religion. You don't have to believe in it. And I was like, that's just, that's my kind of humor. So I was like, you don't have to believe in it, but I will tell you those posterior ties are nasty. And my kids who are prepped well have a posterior tongue tie release done and then have the correct therapy for their needs, you know, post-op, they make beautiful progress when they were just hitting major walls prior to. So it is a thing. It's amazing. I love that. All right. So Hallie, this is like a stupid question, but like what essentially is myofunctional therapy? 
It is not a stupid question because they don't teach us this in grad school and they should. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we should absolutely have a course on myofunctional therapy in grad school simply because if we break it down, I mean, if you just think about what the actual word means, myo is muscle and function. Like how are your muscles functioning? And we get this all the time too, because we get like questions about, well, do you do myofascial release? And we're like, no, that's something completely different. But essentially myofunctional therapy is looking at how your, the muscles of the face and the oral phase prep and oral phase swallow are all functioning together. And we want to make sure that you have correct oral rest posture as well as correct swallowing posture. And then we get into also elimination of any oral habits that might impede these things from functioning properly. So that's a pretty generalistic description, but you know, for anybody who's looking into it, uh, that, that really covers it as well, as long as you understand like what correct oral rest posture means. And for those who are not familiar, if you are in the feeding world and you can't tell somebody what a correct oral rest posture is, that, I think that's an issue, but they don't teach us this. Um, and that's why I say that there's such a marriage between Mayo and feeding and tots. They really are. It's a puzzle that, that they're all pieces of the puzzle and they all go together. We all need to know more about yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're looking at like a formal definition of orofacial myofunctional disorders, they are atypical adaptive patterns that emerge in the absence of normalized patterns within the orofacial complex. The regular presence of these adaptive movements can often result in a variety of disturbances. So as I mentioned before, like thumb and finger sucking habits, um, those are the types of habits I was referencing, routine habit of resting with your lips apart, your mouth open, forward resting posture of the tongue between or against the teeth. And then obviously we tend to see a tongue thrust when it comes to swallowing or a tongue forward posture when swallowing. Oftentimes we also, not always, but we often see a frontal lisp in these children um, or adults. It goes, carries on through adulthood and or lateral list as well. We sometimes see. Um, and then, and that's obviously not the myofunctional disorder itself. That then becomes a speech sound issue and that needs to be treated by a speech language pathologist. Um, and, and then there can also be other harmful oral habits like nail biting or just, you know, constantly chewing on inedible things, putting things in your mouth that are not food items basically. Yeah. So do you, do you recommend that like every kid basically be screened for these? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I know in Brazil that they do newborn um, tongue tie screenings in the hospitals and it's kind of like newborn hearing right. screenings that That's we do here in the U S yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's um, funny because I had somebody local to me who was like, wow, well we should like go on this mission together and like, we should get these instated in the U S. And I was like, I don't have the energy to do that, but I will support you however I can. <laughs> I'm like, but yes, it's, we should have them here. So if anybody's listening that wants to do that, by all means. Yeah. <laughs> Hallie and I will you. support you. Yes. <laughs> we will support you in that fight. Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting topic because a lot of hospitals have gag orders. And that's definitely a thing where the lactation consultants, even if they're there and even if they're like room in pro breastfeeding, like baby stays with mom, you don't take baby out of the room unless mom asks you to take baby to the nursery, even those hospitals, because I was in one of the top ones known to be like that in the country, they won't diagnose or even mention issues of a tongue tie, regardless of the feeding issues baby's having. These kids could be in the NICU. These kids could be horrible latch at birth. Um, Yeah. And then what was so interesting with my second one, because my first one, I had no clue she was tied. And that's what threw me into this rabbit hole. 
my second one, I was like, I am not looking for the first 24 hours. I will take a peek after like, I get to know this child. And like the second I latched her, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I was like, we have another tongue tie at play here. And so sure enough, a couple hours later, I looked and I didn't say anything for the first 24 hours. I wanted to see if they would say something, but I asked for lactation to come in and help me like position her and whatever else. I'm like, we need to obviously get her, you know, on and feeding. And nobody said a thing. And then when the pediatrician showed up from my peds off, my kid's peds office, I mentioned them. I said, she's got a, a lip and tongue tie. This is what I specialize in. I was like, you want to take a look? <laughs> she was like, yeah, you're right. She does. How's her feeding going? We had a whole discussion. And then in came lactation again, like a couple hours later. And I said, yeah, so um, my pediatrician was here. And oh, by the way, like, this is what I do for a living. Um, my child has a lip and a tongue tie. And I think this is, you know, what can we do to support the breastfeeding experience until we can get her released. And they were like, Oh, well, our hospital surgeon can release the baby's tongue for you. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like you didn't even, and you didn't look in the baby's mouth. You still haven't looked in the baby's mouth, but all of a sudden now you want to bill my insurance and send it to the hospital, you know, got whoever's on your staff to do it when I don't know him. And you guys don't even assess for this. It just was, it was, so it was, as a mom who's in this space and knows it was just so disheartening and confusing. And I was exhausted because hello, childbirth, you know, and <laughs> all the things. And so, yeah, so it, I'm sort of on a mission to educate parents and professionals more about tongue tie, feeding issues, myo issues, um, because we should be screening for these. And I have gone into preschool settings um, and done, you know, some of them that we have a relationship with. We do um, like an annual in-service and we talk about like, these are the red flags. This, you know, if the child is snoring during nap time and their mouth is open, that's a problem. If the child is refusing to eat snack with all the peers, like let's figure out why. If that child has the same lunch every day and the parent says, oh, they won't eat anything else. And we have other concerns about them too. Like let's have a discussion. So, you know, we're definitely trying to train others as to what to look for, but then, you know, it goes beyond even that to educating and empowering parents. So they know that, Hey, your child's not just lazy or stubborn or, cause these are the, these are the descriptors that they call and tell my office, my private practice, they will say, Oh, my child is so lazy, but now they're down in like the third percentile, the doctor's concerned. And so we need a feeding evaluation. <laughs> like, wait, we, we had to wait till your child, like drop that low before somebody referred you for an evaluation. So yeah, it's definitely a big issue. Um, and one that we're trying to really spread the word on. Oh, I love it. I, I love that so much, Hallie. So, so that's obviously the parent crusade, but then I think also the glaring side that we both are is the SLP side. And, oh, yeah. you know, how many times have, you know, we're both speech pathologists. How many times have we just said, oh, well, they just can't create that sound or they are just one of those picky eaters or, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say we're to blame as well, but we are definitely part of the problem, but it's not that we're part of the problem. We just have not been trained on this stuff. And it's just like you said, not something that we learn about in grad school and it's not in the textbooks. It's not in the curriculum, but it's a massive problem in our field and something that is totally right up our alley and that we really should know so much more about. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where I say, well, when we know better, we do better, right? Yeah. Um, that's kind of one of the big phrases that's being thrown around the feeding in Maya world, like constantly, because there's definitely some guilt that we carry as therapists when we think back to how many cases we've worked with and we go, oh my gosh, like, what if I could have done this with that child? Or like, I wonder where that child is now? Or, you know, what 
how much, how much quicker could I have graduated that kid from therapy had we actually taken this approach? And I wonder if they're still struggling with X, Y, or Z, you know, but I think that we all, we get into this profession because we are caring human beings and there's a, re, you know, we, we want to fix the world. Like that's why we become speech language pathologists. But I think at the same time, we also have to not be so hard on ourselves because like you said, like we were not trained on this in school. We were not, it's, there isn't a ton of research on like things like tongue tie and myofunctional therapy. There are some, but it's, it's not like conclusive, you know, evidence that the ENT is going to use to recommend a case, you know, be treated with X, Y, and Z because this is what the research says. No. So like as clinicians, it has now falls on us to spend the time, spend the money, spend the energy, figuring out how the heck do we gain these skills to best serve our patients, our clients. And also gain respect from the other professionals on the medical team because it's not just us. And so we can come in and say all day long, hey, this child needs X, Y, and Z. But if we can't back that up sometimes, you know, they look at us like we have five heads. So we are definitely on this this crusade, like you said, working at it from several angles. And, you know, my driving factor is I know that if we can train, like, don't be me. Don't take 10 years to become a pediatric feeding therapist. I mean, I definitely called myself a ped feeding therapist way early on, but I wasn't really comfortable in saying that I specialized it until probably a couple years ago. And that was after like hundreds of cases and really honing my skills and becoming even more niche down with like the tongue tied babies and the picky toddlers. And then realizing, Hey, my four plus crowd actually, when they don't have a ton of other medical complexities going on, like a lot of them are best served by a myofunctional approach. So, you know, it's, it's definitely been learned through experience and tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so don't be me. Like, go find those courses, take them, do yourself a favor. And <laughs> yeah, it's, but yeah, like I said, when we know better, we do better. And it's not your fault. Like, we just weren't taught these things. And I think they are starting to turn over a new leaf where I've heard, and I don't know if this is definitely happening, but I've heard that in the next like couple of years, they're requiring our grad programs to have a course on myofunctional therapy awesome. um, or orofacial myofunctional disorders. So fingers crossed that actually happens. And this is something that is taught because I think that will then pull in more of a conversation on tongue tie and then hopefully also a conversation on pediatric feeding dysphagia, since that is just not, you know, I learned about right. it. Right. learn about peed. It's like, peed it's feeding. like a three week course out of a 10 week dysphagia course. I don't yeah. even know that I got that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, so, yeah. So that brings us to your course, Hallie. So and that's really why I want to have this conversation today because Hallie's course is by the time we air this, it's going to be open. And I would love for you guys. It's so funny. A bunch of the people that helped you create this course are all people that I've had on this podcast before and are also contributors and reviewers to the MedSLP Collective. So we're all just one big happy family. So I'm, I'm so happy for you to talk about this, Hallie. So yeah, just tell them a little bit about, you know, the course that you created. Absolutely. And yes, it has been a team approach. I could not have done this without my amazing co-creators um, who have pulled in all kinds of awesome content. And yeah, it's a 12-week feeding course. Um, it's called Feed the Peds. And if you go to feedthepeds.com, you can learn more about it. When the course is open, that is also the link that will work to join the course. We'll have the cart open for one total week. And then we close it off again because we we really just we want people starting all at the same time. It's a 12-week 
you know, take it together kind of course, but it's also self-paced. If you prefer it to be self-paced, it never goes away. You have like lifetime access to it. Um, and that was the other thing that was really important to me because I would go take courses, sit in courses, watch courses online. And then, you know, I'm like, well, well wait a second. Like, I remember hearing about something in that course, but I didn't have a patient that applied to it at the time. And I wish I could go back and listen to that. And so we want to give people the opportunity to do that because we know a lot, I think half or at least a third of our members were actually graduate students in our in our first round that we just did. And they just wanted to learn more before going out into the field. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Amazing. Um, and then we had a bunch of clinicians that were in their first year of treating. And we now we even had seasoned therapists who were like, well, I really wanted to figure out what I'm missing in like the tots and the myo realm and ended up learning so much more than they even expected. So we, you know, it's really a course for anybody interested in pediatric feeding. It I wouldn't call it just an intro course. I do think it's pretty heavy on the information because I've got some some specialists like Ramya and Kristen and others in their course that are really um Leah also joined us in the course and she's got lactation background as well as does, you know, Ramya. So we had OTs in the course with us um, creating content. So it's really looking at feeding from all perspectives and various different, you know, people who are in the NICU, people who've worked in the schools doing feeding, like Kristen is on her own crusade right now with like feeding in the schools and created a bonus, you know, training in there for us. And, you know, we, like I mentioned before, it's so important that, you know, what normal looks like. And that includes prenatal development. So we spend the first three modules going through everything from conception to 36 months, you know, out of the womb. And beyond that, we spend a module on assessment. We have like two separate treatment modules. And then we go into a module on TOTS, a module on Mayo. Um, and then we spend four modules on medical complications because we really wanted to focus on things like working with preemies and life in the NICU and craniofacial disorders and other syndromes. And even like, you know, we get a lot of kiddos who seem pretty typically developing, but maybe there's something going on with, you know, they've got a cardiac issue. And we know that our kids with cardiac issues tend to also have tots and feeding issues. And so it's that whole midline, you know, defect thing. We obviously talk about neurological um, disorders and delays as well as airway airway. And we're going to talk more about, I think, instrumentals this go around as well and the ITSE framework. So, you know, we're really jam packing a lot of content into 12 weeks, but I think that it's why a lot of our members are really confident that they can go out there now and start to take on pediatric feeding cases, even if they weren't before, um, which is ultimately the goal. And look, we tell everybody, this is not an end-all be-all course. You can, there's not any course out there that you can take and say, you're done and you're ready to go treat. But if this is what you know kicks you in the butt and makes you go start, then our job here is done. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Oh, goodness. How, how many grad students do you think you had in the last round? Um, so we had about, I want to say close to 130 members, um, in our first round of feed the peds. And I want to say a third of them were grad students. Yeah, it was amazing. It kind of one grad student got word, she shared it with her cohort. And so a bunch of them joined. And, um, you know, the other thing I'll say is that we do give a partial like a 50% scholarship to our graduate students and our clinical fellows, because we know they're right out of school or they're finishing school. And so we want to make this more accessible to them because we know they either are just starting to make money or they are making nothing right now. Um, so I think that also made it a bit more accessible for them. Well, I'd love to help with that too, Hallie. I don't know what we can talk and obviously put something together, but I'd love to sponsor a few grad students through your course too, because I just love 
grad students that want to better themselves and come out with the best knowledge possible. So yeah, we'll work something Thank out you. like that. Yeah. You're amazing. I love that. Awesome. Okay. Any, anything else you want to share with any, everybody? Final thoughts or? Yeah. Let me just add a little bit about um, like what it looks like on a week to week basis. And then we'll, we can kind of like wrap it up. So with the course, what we, we basically have said it, it's split it into 12 modules, one module per week, and we release the pre-recorded training on Sunday. And so you have the whole week to watch the training and what we then do, we also give you a case study related to the training of that week. Sometimes we give you two case studies, depends on, you know, how much, uh, how much we're trying to cover through the case studies and what one case study is looking at versus what another can pull in. Um, so we really want you to walk away feeling like you've had some, some experience, some hands-on experience, despite the fact that this is a digital, virtual online course. Um, so then on Thursdays, we pull together as a group and we have a Q&A related to that week's case study. We review it together. We talk about it. We answer questions. If there's extra time, we'll answer any questions related to the module. And there's always an opportunity to ask questions about the module on our Q&A post each, our Q&A post each week in the group as well. So that is something that's been so huge for us. We want there to be open dialogue and we want it to be relevant to the material being learned that week. Um, And then the last thing that we found really useful for our members the first round, so it's something we're actually offering to those who are interested as an add-on for for the current course is mentoring one-on-one. So if you're somebody who is already treating or you're about to start treating and you're like, I could really use like four mentor calls, like one-on-one 30-minute calls to discuss cases that I am, you know, that we can't discuss because of HIPAA, like I can't talk about this on a recording that's going to be saved to the group, then that, that would be a great opportunity for you to meet up with Rami or Kristen and uh, talk about, you know, get your questions answered, talk through cases. It's, it's really, that was the biggest thing I think that helped propel me in my career as a feeding therapist was having access to that one-on-one mentorship. And so while it's mostly group-based for the course in general, we are adding that on because we know how valuable that is. And those that we tested it out with um, in our beta group, they responded really well and they loved it. So. I love it. Oh my God. Yeah. Yay. Oh, I, I just sound so excited, but I really truly am. Cause I just, I, I know how brilliant Ramia and Kristen are. So I'm so excited. That, yes. Yes. That you're providing that. How, oh, I love everything about this. Okay. I got nothing. You left me speechless. I love all of it. Yay. <laughs> yes. Yay. 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 Any, any final thoughts? No, I think we covered everything. I'm, you know, I have to say mm-hmm. that I'm just really excited that this course is out there. And even though it is, we're revamping the modules and kind of moving some things around just so that it's a little bit more even from one week to the next. Um, it's all the same, still the same amazing content. And the one other thing I will add that I didn't mention is that we have a ton of templates and checklists and we teach you how to use them all like an assessment checklist a tethered oral tissue, you know, we basically go through everything we're teaching you, you're going to get a ton of other bonus handouts that you'll be able to use in your practice and actually implement because we the last thing we want is to teach you a like, course where you're like, okay, great, I got all this content. Now what do I do with it? So we want you to be able to take what we've taught you, print something off, take it with you the next day, use it with your patient. And it just it needs to be functional, right? So that's, that is our goal is that you can actually take this information that you're learning today and use it tomorrow. Awesome. I love it, Hallie. Thank you so, so much. You're so wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Anything else? We cover it all? Covered it all. All right. Thank you so much, my dear. Yes. Thank you. Much appreciated. Yeah. 
So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.